and welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live, right here on Faith FM. G'day, my name is Lloyd Grolleman. I'm the Aussie Pass on the Aussie Pass to Live all over Australia from one end of this sunburned country to the other. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad to have you on the show. And Hunty, the superstar on this program, glad to have you here, mate. Very blessed to be here. And listeners, thank you so much for taking time out of your afternoon to join us. We love having you on board. You didn't react to that superstar thing. He that's, is a superstar. That, that's can, because I'm modest. <laughs> modest, can, what's the word? Uh, yeah, modest is fine. Can, can I tell you why he's a superstar? Why is that? Because he co-hosts it, because he produces it, because he directs it. What do they call it when you get it ready before the program? Oh, yeah, pre-production. Pre-production. pre-production he does yeah. all the, uh, He doesn't do the pre-production yeah. on the info. No. But he does all the technical. All the tech pre-production. And sometimes yeah. driving this beast is like driving a wild old heap of junk Holden, isn't it, mate? Well, we, we might one day be able to afford the real, tool, the real tools. It breaks down all the time. And so if you ever hear a couple of pauses when I'm asking hunting questions, <laughs> it's because he's desperately <laughs> trying to fix bra- something else. Breaks down a rabbit hole somewhere. He's desperately trying to fix something else that, again, oh, yeah. has got itself in trouble. But wherever you are, we're glad to see you on this. I think it's a beautiful day outside. August, I wouldn't know. I've not been out of the studio since about six this morning. August 8, 2023. Special day for you, Hunty. Come on. Big Here's day for a me. Chance. Big day Here's for me. Here's a chance for you to get out there and let your special girl know that you're thinking. 21 long years. Actually, Hunty has had a good marriage. Very blessed. I have watched him for years from afar. These two are, and I don't say this for every marriage, they are soulmates. We, uh, we joke, we, both my wife and I joke about it. We always say, however many years it is, we put the word long years afterwards. That's our joke. Yeah, well, I'll let you pay for that when you get home. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it might have been 22 years. Better put this out oh, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this day in history, August 8. In 1585, on August 8, Pope Sixtus excommuted Henry IV of France. Ooh. I don't know really what this was about. It's a bit vague. Henry was a Huguenot who was a Protestant, then he became a Catholic, then he became a Huguenot. I think it might have had something to do with that where, where Henry was kind of not sure what he was. And so the Pope said, let me help you, and he excommunicated him. Someone who knows history might want to correct wow. me on that. Um, on this day, August 8, 1786, U.S. Congress chooses the dollar as the American monetary unit. And the U.S. dollar to this day, despite the fact that, it might, would it be fair to say that their economy is a cock case? It's a mess. It sure Agreed. is. Mm. But still the strongest go-to currency on the planet. Most reliable, solid, yep. And if you've got U.S. dollars, you're doing okay. I've got no U.S. dollars in my wallet, but here's a question. I I was going to say, I bet, <laughs> I bet you do. Much, hunty, or not much? Uh, I don't know, probably 100 or two. Of US dollars? Always. And you haven't been there for a long time? Uh, I'm too lazy to take it out because I know I'll need it again. Do you think there are places where you could go into an Australian, give US dollars and they'd take it? Probably. Certainly. Pretty if reliable. I had something for sale and they wanted to give me US dollars instead of Australian, I'd be happy to take it because their dollar's so much more powerful. I've got a wedding to go to next year in the US. That's right, your son. That's right. Good stuff. 1844, Brigham Young chosen as the head of the Mormon Church after the death of Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith is a guy who they claim. Now, there's a lot I don't go along with the Mormons, a lot of things I do like about them, but their theology's not for me, that's for sure. I don't think it's got a strong base in in the Bible at all. Yep. But this Joseph Smith has these visions, apparently, writes down uh, what he saw on these plates, on these golden plates that some angel brought him. Don't say that disrespectfully yep. at all. Yep. Um, and that's the Book of Mormon. He dies... 
probably escaping from prison. We're not sure whether he was killed by the guards or or by um, a mob. It seemed there could have been a mob. I'm not sure. But he died, and then Brigham Young, he's number two. Hey, have you been to Salt Lake City, uh, Utah, been. the Mormon yep. state? It's a beautiful place. It's amazing what mm. they've built there. Yep. Out in the middle of the desert. No, have you been skiing up in the <laughs> mountains? Of no, no. The best, apparently, dry powder snow skiing oh. in the world. Hey, should we start skiing again, Hunty? Uh, you can. I think I'm. I think I value my joints and knees now. I remember the last time I saw you ski. Uh-oh. With two cameras, no poles. Lights, tripod. And could I say, headed down the hill, totally out of control. And if you've seen Hunter, <laughs> you don't want to get in the way. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, August 8, 1870, 1st America Cup race. Wow. Do you remember when we won the America's Cup? What year? Oh, that was a big day for me. Was it 88? 1983. 1983. Yep. Mm. Mm. Bob Hawke gave us a day off. Did you take the day off? I bet you didn't. 83, I think I was at school. No, you were not. Definitely not. You were born, I won't say when you were born, but you were born, you are 19 years old. So unless you failed a few... gave you a pregnant pause. Grades. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yeah, he doesn't like us telling... I know his birthday too. Uh, 1900, first Davis... First Davis tennis... First... Davis Cup tennis match played. Got that out eventually. Who won? It was between America and Britain, and the, Umer- the Americans won. Oh. Just like the first America's Cup was between America and Britain, and the Americans and, won. Uh, okay. Americans seem to win everything except when they're playing Australia because we're probably just naturally a little bit more athletic, a little bit faster, a little bit stronger, more powerful than. Well, we took their cup. Well, just about anybody in the world when it comes to Australia. Despite uh, them changing the rules between each race, we still took their cup. 1945? <laughs> I can't remember. It was too long ago, Hunter. You're older than me. 1945, US President Harry Truman signed the UN Charter, which brought into place the United Nations. They're pretty good, aren't they, Hunter? Oh, yeah. Uh, 1945, the USSR, Soviet Union, established communist country in North Korea, which I think is very sad. Mm. And communism has been, I don't mind saying this publicly, a curse not just on the world but on North Korea, perhaps more than any other country to this day where those people are enslaved. 1963, great train robbery in England, $2.6 million stolen. <laughs> Big deal. It's a house in Riverston. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pay that one. <laughs> Ronald Biggs, I think, was one of the leaders. He, do you know that he actually escaped to Australia for a while? Lived in, yeah, good on lived in Melbourne. No, he's a oh, bad dude. Oh, sorry, he deserved sorry. to go to prison. He stole a house in Riverston. <laughs> <laughs> he lived in Melbourne. He lived in Adelaide. Eventually, he ended up, I think, in Brazil. And then finally went back to Britain where they put him in jail. Nice. And he died, I think it's 83 or 4, they let him go eventually. Uh, 1966, South Africa bans the Beatles because John Lennon said that the Beatles and himself, he said, we are more popular than Jesus. Mm, fair enough then. Silly thing to say. I don't know whether you'd ban someone over it, but silly thing to yeah, say. true. 1974, Richard Nixon announced his resignation as President of the United States from Watergate. Big deal. Wow. Don't know much about it, but it's a big deal for a president. To Basically to be... He was fired, really, wasn't he? Wow. If he hadn't resigned, he was done. Right. 1983, I know you know this one. Billy Joel releases the song... Uh, we should stop the fight. Innocent, uh, innocent man. Ah, yes. You know that, don't you? Good song. 1988, ceasefire between Iran and Iraq after an eight-year war where somewhere between 500,000 and 2 million people died. That was a disaster, that war. I kind of remember it. 1990, Iraq and next Kuwait and next Kuwait as its 19th province, August 8, 1990. Big mistake, Hunty. Birthdays, Nigel Mansell, 1953, oh, top, August 8. Top race car driver. You know that he won the Formula One 
World Championship in 1992, then switched to Indy, which is the American series, which is arguably harder to win than Formula One. And he won it in his first year, Indy. Yes, this guy was a great racer. Driver. Happy birthday, Nigel Mansell, if you're watching. You gave me in my youth many, many happy days. Indeed. Roger Federer, August 8, 1981. This is his birthday. Happy, happy birthday, Roger Federer. Is he the greatest tennis player that ever played? He's got to be one of them. Got to be right up there. Yep. And in 1983, Willie Tonga. Willie Tonga, if you're listening to this, somewhere on Faith FM, happy birthday, man. Happy birthday. Why do I love Willie Tonga? Oh, does he play for the Broncos? Yes, he played oh. for the Brisbane Broncos and was sent Can to we for, just the, move on? for the Queensland State <laughs> of Origin. <laughs> Their birthday's deaths, Glenn Campbell. Great. American country western singer. He died in 2017. He was 81. And kind of a bit sad as an Aussie for this one. Olivia Newton-John died a year ago, 2022. She was born in 1948. She died last year. She was 74. It is also Hunty International Day of the Cat. Uh. Eh, I'm a dog dog guy. You know, I'm not a cat man either. Uh, Our cat hates me. I can see why you'd love cats because they've got lots of good qualities, but I'm a dog guy. Our cat hates me. (laughs) <laughs> There's a story to that. Word for the day, ameliorate. Ameliorate. You're right, that? What do you think that means? Uh, fix. Kind of. It is a formal word that means to make something such as a problem better or more tolerable. So fix, I'd almost give that to you. Ooh. Ameliorate. That's a good, can I use it in a sentence? Yes, please. Oh, no. Why did I say yes to that? <laughs> oh, my goodness. For our listeners, I've got to do this every week. <laughs> Hunter is thinking of selling his Jeep for a Ford Mustang. Oh, yes. Coyote Supercharged Ooh. V8. Okay. In the this. hope that it will ameliorate his constant breakdowns in the Jeep. Hey, wait a minute. My car's not broken down. What are you talking about? <laughs> I knew he wouldn't like that. Oh, dear. Where's my mute button? Let me give you a real one. Yep. The council is reviewing a plan that aims to ameliorate the town's affordable housing crisis. There you go. To fix it, to make it better. Hey, welcome. Wherever you are in Australia, welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live all over this beautiful country. And we're going to see through a window and we're going to look at Jesus today. And I'm out here to tell you that he is beautiful. He is wonderful. Hunty, want to start for prayer? Yes, certainly. Heavenly Father, thank you again for an opportunity this afternoon to lift you high in our community, Lord. Thank you for all the listeners who have tuned into our program. Lord, please bless them. Please be close to them. Please provide their, their every need and give them peace. Lord, also pray for my mate Lloyd as he opens the Bible this afternoon that your Holy Spirit will rest within him and the message that you have for our listeners, Lord, he will, he will deliver. So, Lord, thank you for this uh, great opportunity to be a part of Faith FM. And, Lord, I, uh, I pray for our listeners as we get into our program this afternoon. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Oh, I'm not laughing. I'm not saying fixed, a word. I fixed that touch, didn't reset it. Yes, okay. It does hate you, mate. It does. It's like a cat. <laughs> it's a cat that sting yeah. is a cat. You don't have to do much to it, and it will hate you. But who cares? It's live <laughs> radio. Away. It's live radio. That's right. I kind of like all these kind of, well, these little mistakes that we make on live radio because it proves that it is a real deal. Hey, Hunty. Yes, mate. First song today. Okay. I like it. I can see clearly now from Woody Wright.
Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind. It's gonna be a bright, 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 sunshiny day. Oh yeah. It's gonna be a bright, 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 sunshiny day. Song about prayer and how when God's in your life, it's always going to be better. Yes. I believe that too. Me too. I've always believed that. Always. You know, I've had times in my life where I've got God in my life, Hunty. I've got times in my life where I didn't have him so much, you know. Um, when I've got him with him, life is always better. I always feel more at peace. I feel a sense of the goodness of the world when I've got God and yes. he softens me. Yes. And I think if you know me, because I can be a pretty hard man, Hunty. Um, oh, you've got a big soft heart. Oh, I don't think I love how you say that, but I you think, do. Yeah, I think I, I, I see you witnessing. I see. Yeah, you yeah. But looking I, after the sick and the I people can be in a trouble. pretty hard man, and I like what God does to me by yeah, softening me. He softens you. Hey, news stories. Yeah, what have you got? Um, the first one: older phones vulnerable to hacking. Okay. Do we need to worry about that? Uh, well, you don't, because firstly, it's um, well, Android. Well, I've got an old phone. You, yeah, but you're on a Mac, uh, oh, Apple. Apple, yes. Number one. And secondly, it's it's really, it probably affects less than 1% of the phones on Earth. It's for those people using Android KitKat, which is a really ancient version What's of Kit-Kat? Android. I, only KitKat I know is the one I buy <laughs> yeah. at the shop when my wife's not looking. Man, I have trouble doing that because we have the same bank account. So when I go into the shop and buy KitKat, she get, you know, I'm in trouble. I love KitKat. So what's KitKat, man? Okay, so I'm just quickly having a look at my computer. Um, Apple call their software Ventura or yeah. Yosemite or whatever. Yep. Well, Android's got names for their software, and KitKat was a very popular name for the, one of their releases about 10, 15 and years KitKat ago. And KitKat doesn't mind? 
<laughs> I'm surprised. So what you're saying is there's no need to worry. Well, no, if you know that 1% of people have got like an ancient Android phone. What's ancient? 15 years, 10, 15 years. Yeah, are there people with 10-year-old phones? Correct. Correct. No. There are a lot of people with 10-year-old um, car stereos which are running on the Android KitKat as well. Well, it is true that I only got rid of my 7 Plus... How long ago? Six months ago? Yeah, not long. Yeah. And I got a, oh, I buy Hunty's second-hand phones. <laughs> <laughs> I got an iPhone 10 Plus. Uh, what are you running? 13. Yeah, I think and, 13. Yeah. And it's probably time for you to update because how? Do, what do we do if your cameras? Well, We've, uh, my, my your phone does cameras, a lot of, phones. My phone does a lot of production filming for our ministry. I would say 80 percent when we're out. All of it. Yeah, when we're but, out, but the drone when, 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 all we're, of it. when we're not in here, when mm. we're not in the studio, eighty mm. nine. Well, sometimes you use a drone. You also got a. You bought yourself a little. Oh, I just bought a GoPro a few weeks ago. Yeah, is that better than the phone? Yeah, horses, of course, it's got to use. Don't you love the way we wander off track here? Yeah. So Bottom bank, line is, so don't worry about this. Don't don't do your banking on an old Android oh. phone with KitKat. That's my warning. I'll go further. Don't do your banking on an Android. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and don't do your banking on public Wi-Fi. Only your Wi-Fi. Or your your Telstra 4G or 5G, Telstra, not Optus. No, not Optus is fine. So as long as it's as long as it's yours and not using a hotspot, you're safe. Okay, fair enough. I was going to tell a story about in the old days how we used to travel around and Hunty and find hotspots all over, but that's another. Let's not go there, Hunty. It's a good story. <laughs> no, it's a, might not be when you really think about it. As good oh, a story fine. as you might. <laughs> this second one, a ship fire. Blamed on electric vehicles. I love this. Now, I'll tell you why I like this story. Because under your supervision, Andrew Hunt, yes. under your influence, Guidance. I went <laughs> out and bought an electric blower, an electric brush cutter, an electric hedge trimmer. And how happy are you? And an electric lawnmower. And are you happy? I love them, mate. No fooling with fuel, no trying to get them started. No, they start every go. time. And yep. the batteries, are f- I've got four batteries, yep. so I bought four batteries because t- each one takes In- two batteries at a time. Yep. Unbelievable. But you told me to keep my lithium batteries yes. outside because they sometimes yes. explode. Is that what's happened on this ship? So that they're actually more likely to get hot and catch fire. But on the ship, and by the way, the jury's not out on this. No one's absolutely certain it was a lithium-powered car that caught fire. But there was only four or five cars on this giant container ship. Anyway, so here's the problem with lithium batteries in cars. They are highly packed, highly dense, with very, very thin membranes between the cells. So if they get hot or they get stressed, the cells can erupt and burn slowly and slowly becomes fast and fast becomes a, a raging fire. Right now... You can't put those fires out. It's hard. You have to take away oxygen. Because if you put water on them, it actually makes them burn hotter. Yeah, no, not, not, not particularly. But, you, but these things need to have the oxygen removed. You can put them underwater and that'll fix it. But here's the problem with this ship. It's in a very environmentally sensitive part of the world and they don't want it to sink with all this pollution on board. So they've got fire, fire brigade ships parked around it, keeping its hull cold, spraying cold water on it, so that when the fire does finally stop, the ship doesn't sink. Okay. Mm. Will the fire stop? Uh, when it runs out of fuel, it will, yes, in a day or so. What's it fueled on? Just the cars themselves? Or? The, the lithium, if, they, if they've managed to move all the stuff around the car that's on fire, if they've managed to separate it, then it'll burn itself out. Okay. Why don't we have lithium fires from our phones on planes? Typically, lithium fires are caused by charging, and a lot of, not a lot of people are charging their devices on the planes. So the more we charge, because you can charge a device if you're in business, True. Yes, however, we're talking about very, very smart devices with very intelligent chargers that monitor the temperature of the device you're charging and monitoring have the Have you ever the heard of a lithium fire from a phone on a, on a plane? I, ha- I have, and, and airlines have got special 
fire bags they can put phones into that they zip lock up the end and then there's no oxygen they just go out quickly what about the Gulf Stream in danger of collapsing this is our last news item oh, today help me out here yeah. oh man um, it's incredible um, the environment is under great stress on our planet at the moment. Yep. And you know how we've had these heat waves up in the Northern Hemisphere? And they've been genuine. We've talked about this on this show, Hunty. You you've, you've lived in Europe. You've worked in Europe. You've lived in the US. You've worked there uh, in Britain. You get that these heat waves are a big deal when, the, when you're looking at 40, 50 degrees in Britain or, say, totally. yep. in, in France or, or Portugal. They don't have those sorts of temperatures normally. But what's happening is we have the Gulf Stream, which goes up the east coast of the United States of America, up to Canada, then round back down. It's circular, okay? So it's a Gulf Stream in the ocean. You're with me? Yep. With this heat, the glaciers and the snow is melting, which doesn't normally melt. And it's dumping a whole lot of fresh water in the ocean. You're with me? Yep. Now, the salt water normally gets up north, up past Canada, and sinks to the bottom of the ocean. The fresh water comes over the top, doesn't sink as easy, but kind of drives the current. Does that make sense? Wow. It's quite amazing how God's done it. Mm. But there's so much fresh water, it doesn't sink like the salt water. And because it's not sinking, it's just lying there, there's no current. And they'll say, so they're saying there'll be no golf current somewhere between, they're not saying if, they're saying when, somewhere between 2025 and 2050. Now, if that happened, do you know what goes on then, Hunty? What's that? Ever seen a movie called The Day After? Uh, nope. Go watch that because it's a movie about what happens if the golf current. And there's nothing wrong with the movie either. It, it, it's it's clean. It's family. Oh, it's it's pretty. It's it's climate disaster. Is it fact or fiction? It's based on fact on what would happen oh, okay. cool. if the golf current stopped because the golf current brings all the warm air up into Canada, into Europe, so it makes it habitable, so you can grow stuff. Very, very important. If it stops, all of a sudden we've got an ice age up in Canada, up in Europe, it's awful. Hmm. Uh, and it'll be a massive disaster. Will it happen? Look, I don't know. There's a lot of scary stuff out there, Hunty, at the moment Indeed. when it comes to the climate. Um, I think we're headed for hard times. I've never been a pastor who teaches and preaches that the future is good for our planet. I don't think it is, Andrew. Mm. I think we're, we're facing a grim future. I think we're going to see bigger disasters in the environment. I think we're going to see bigger droughts, fiercer storms, bigger floods. That scares me a bit mm. uh, because I'm in a flood zone out there. We already lost our studio. Yep. That's why we're here. Yep. And we're a bit higher here, but maybe a flood could still get us here, Hunty. If we yeah, were. we're not immune. Yeah, in fact, we're ready to go just in case one does come. Yep. Um, two things I want to guarantee you if you're listening today when it comes to the disasters that are coming to our world before it comes to an end. And we see, oh, man, we see Jesus. Can't wait, eh? Mm. He's going to come. You know that, hunty. No. Two things. Can't wait. The first thing is Jesus said that mankind will live here and there'll be seasons and there'll be life until he returns. That's the first thing. So yep. I believe that. Yep. Doesn't mean there won't be disasters because obviously there will be. The second thing is that no matter what the disaster, no matter what you go through, if you've got Jesus, if you've got Jesus, if you've chosen him as your saviour, no matter what the world throws at you as it dies, you're going to be okay. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. This song, He'll Do It Again, from John Starnes, is about Jesus. And it's about how he'll bless you over and over again. And more than that, you know the greatest blessing Jesus gives you outside of his death on the cross, Hunty? Do you know what it is? What's that? Do you know? You want to guess? Oh, I was actually looking, getting the song queued up, so I wasn't paying attention. You caught me. <laughs> I love that. What do you think is the greatest blessing Jesus gives you other than his death on the cross? Well, for me, I get peace. I'm, I'm very grateful for the grace that gets me to heaven. 
uh, gives my life meaning and purpose. There's so many things. But I've if you're going to choose one, I, I, I don't think there's, I like a right or, there's, like, right like or, there's not a right or wrong to this. Mm. But for me, mm. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what mine is. Yeah. What's yours? Yeah, mine's peace. What's yours? His presence. Nice. Which brings what? Peace. <laughs> so we're, we're on the same page. Yeah, kind of giving a similar answer Love there. It. This song, he'll do it again. It means Jesus will stay with you. He'll walk with you no matter what. Somehow forgotten That you are faced With circumstances You can't go through And right now it seems Like there's no way out And you're going under But God's proven time and time again He'll take care of you
And again and again and again, and he'll keep doing it until he comes and gets you and takes it, takes you home to be with him. Right. Over and over. Hunty. Yes. Uh, i got a complaint. Uh-oh. I have. Far away. The arm on this thing is creaking. <laughs> Watch this. Can you hear that? He's got to lube it with some silicone. Can you hear too? that, listeners? He yes. promised he'd fix that before the program. Promise. There was no promise given. There was. There was. You said I'll. I, you even said it's a silicon-based spray. I, I said I'd fix it. I didn't promise. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. Like every husband that says to their wives, "Yes, I'll." I'll yeah. Fix that. Well, that's yeah, a, that's yeah. a scenario we're not experiencing here. <laughs> uh, um, what's your favourite song? In the religious genre, in the uh, spiritual look, genre. I have to go to the great oratorio by the wonderful Handel, and it's the Messiah. Okay. That, that to that, me, is my favourite piece of Christian music. Do you stand up when they play that? I, I stand up. I'm usually the first on my feet because oh, that's a badge of honour. You know when they play the Messiah, you're supposed and to stand up in respect to God. Of course. Yeah. And I, I've actually I've actually been in the in the orchestra because I, I play trumpet. I've actually been in the town hall and performed it. You do? Um, that's how much I love it. Yeah. Love it. I've got a lot of favourite songs, and this is one of them. Um, it's called As Well With My Soul. In fact, when you want a big song in church, you want to play this one. Oh, yeah. People love it. It talks about how no matter what happens, if you've got Jesus, it will be well. Well, the story behind this old hymn, and it's an old hymn, it's a surprising one, and I'll bet you, mm. if you're listening to this, you might think, because there'll be some out there, especially Christians who think they know the story behind this, I'll bet you don't. Because it is, it's amazing, mm. it's sad, mm. it's tragic, and it ends bad, Hunty. It does. But it's a song, it's a beautiful song, and I think there's something to be said by listening to the story of this song. So let's listen to what it's all about, Hunty. Yep. Horatio Spafford was born in Troy, New York in 1828. He moved to Chicago where he met and married Anna Larson in 1861. By 1870, he had become a wealthy senior partner in a large law firm. He was a successful businessman, having invested heavily in real estate in North Chicago. He also served as an elder in a Presbyterian church. The Spaffords were supporters and friends with the well-known evangelist Dwight L. Moody. They lived happily in Lakeview with their four daughters. They could certainly say at this time in their lives that all was well. But their earthly fortunes would soon change. On October 8, 1871, the ever-present threat of fire in the crowded city of Chicago broke out. Old wooden buildings and sidewalks quickly went up in flames, fanned by winds off Lake Michigan. Within two days, at least 300 people were dead, 100,000 homeless, and $200 million worth of property destroyed, including Spafford's real estate investments and law firm. By 1873, Spafford, concerned about Anna's health, planned a family trip to England to participate in revival services led there by Dwight Moody and music evangelist Ira Sankey. Just before they left, their dwindling finances took another hit during the Panic of 1873. Though he was detained by last-minute business concerns, he sent Anna and the four girls ahead, whom he would follow in a few days. Spafford booked passage for his wife, 11-year-old Anna, 9-year-old Maggie Lee, 5-year-old Elizabeth, and 2-year-old Tanetta, who joined 308 other passengers aboard the French steamship Ville de Havre in New York. They set sail on November 15, 1873. About one week into the crossing, at 2 a.m. on November 22nd, the Ville de Havre collided with the iron-hulled Scottish ship, the Loch Ern. The Loch Ern rang the ship's bell and ported its helm, while the Ville de Havre put to starboard, but it was too late. 
the Ville de Havre was nearly broken in two. Anna hurried her daughters from their berths to the deck, where all was chaos. Having been told that the ship would soon sink, there she knelt down and prayed that God would either save them or make them willing to die. The Ville de Havre sank into the cold, murky waters of the Atlantic in only 12 minutes. 226 souls were lost. While rowing a small boat, a sailor spotted a woman clinging to a piece of the wreckage. It was Anna, still alive, but all four of her daughters had drowned. Another vessel landed them in Cardiff, Wales, nine days later. There she cabled her husband the famed message that began, Saved alone, what shall I do? One of the ship's survivors later recalled Anna saying, God gave me four daughters. Now they have been taken from me. Someday I will understand why. Horatio immediately left Chicago for Liverpool. As he crossed the Atlantic, the captain called Horatio to his cabin to say that, by his best reckoning, they were passing over the spot where his daughters perished. He wrote to his wife's half-sister, On Thursday last we passed over the spot where she went down, in mid-ocean, the waters three miles deep. But I do not think of our dear ones there. They are safe folded, the dear lambs. Ira Sankey said that Dwight Moody left his meetings in Edinburgh and went to Liverpool to comfort the bereaved parents and was pleased to find that they were able to say, It is well, the will of God be done. The Spaffords returned to Chicago where, in 1876, they entertained Ira Sankey in their home for several weeks. According to Sankey, that is when Horatio penned the words of the hymn, It is well with my soul, in commemoration of the death of his children. Sankey stated that the comforting fact in connection with this incident was that in one of our small meetings in North Chicago a short time prior to their sailing for Europe, the children had been converted. As heartrending as their losses were, these events were not the end of the Spafford sorrows. In 1875 they were blessed with the birth of a son, Horatio Gates Spafford II, but before he turned five their son died of scarlet fever. However, in 1878 and 1881, respectively, daughters Bertha and Grace were born. In what is perhaps the most tragic part of the story, Spafford began to drift away from evangelical truth and adopt unusual notions and questionable business practices. He became obsessed with date-setting for the Second Coming, a supposed golden earthly age of a thousand years, messages and visitations from God, a denial of hell, false prophecies, and many other rather extreme practices. With growing opposition, Spafford and some of his followers found it expedient to leave the country. In August of 1881, this messianic sect left for Jerusalem where they established the American colony and lived communally to wait for the second coming. Near the end, Spafford even imagined himself to be the Messiah, though this was likely the result of delirium from malaria. On October 16, 1888, Horatio Spafford died of malaria. Anna Spafford passed away many years later in 1923. But the tragedies surrounding this hymn did not begin and end with the sinking of a ship. Spafford penned the famous words of the hymn, but Philip P. Bliss composed the tune, which he dubbed Ville de Havre, after the ship that took the Spafford's daughters. The complete hymn was published by Bliss and Sankey in 1876. It was first sung by Bliss himself before a large gathering of ministers hosted by Moody on November 24, 1876. After Christmas, only one month later, Bliss wired D.L. Moody that he, his wife Lucy, and his two sons, Paul and George, would soon be arriving in Chicago. In the telegram, he said, Tickets for Chicago, via Buffalo and Lakeshore Railroad, shall be in Chicago Friday night. God bless you all forever. At the last minute, they decided to leave the two boys with Bliss's mother. Philip and Lucy departed on a cold, blizzardy December 29, 1876. 
At 8 o'clock p.m., on crossing over a ravine near Ashtabula, Ohio, the bridge carrying the train collapsed, and one of two engines and 11 passenger coaches carrying about 160 people plunged 75 feet into the icy river below. Five minutes later, fire broke out and, fanned by gale-force winds, quickly enveloped the wreckage. Two-thirds of the passengers perished in the wreck and the fire. Philip, however, was able to free himself and escape through a window. He returned to pull his wife Lucy out, but found her to be hopelessly pinned in the twisted iron of the wreckage. When he found that he could not save her, he bravely remained at her side until both were consumed by the flames. In 1877, an eyewitness wrote, He would not escape by deserting his noble wife, and they went home together in a baptism of fire. The newspapers reported all that remained was a charred mass. No trace of their bodies was ever discovered. Seven tragic deaths surround this hymn. For some, the circumstances of life and death could not touch their souls. For others, the thorns of affliction grew and choked. It is difficult to assess how such tragedies influence Baffert's theological drift. But perhaps one may both take warning and have compassion that there but for the grace of God go any of us. Yet, like others, we may hold confidently and exuberantly to the blessed assurance and hope of the gospel. For one who rests in Christ and his atoning sacrifice, nothing in life or death can change his standing with God. This is why Job, despite the horrors of affliction, could ask, What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? It is why he could cry out, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. This is why Paul could declare, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And this is why he could say, But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is why Jesus said, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And this is why, if we were to take all the losses we experience in life and add them to the loss of death, they would never add up to the gain we have in Christ. And so, when sorrows billow over us and threaten to sink us, we may confidently sing, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And so, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul.
was from David Phelps, Guy Penrod, mm, and mm. Joy Gardner from Gaither. It's about as good as it gets, and I think it was sobering to hear again the story of the suffering of those who wrote both the words and the music to that beautiful song, It Is Well. And if you've never had the joy of standing in church and singing that song then come to New Hope because we sing it regularly. We do, we do. And it is an absolute boomer. And I think the reason it's such a good song is because we're all suffering so much down here. Yeah. And there is so much pain. And we need Jesus so desperately. And I say it over and over, week by week by week, weary week, really, in this show, that if you have Jesus, no matter what the world throws at you, you're going to be okay Yes. It doesn't mean that it'll be always all right, but you're going to be okay. And My I'm testimony too. 59 years of age, and I know how difficult life can be. I've been through my own trials and my own travails, and I know how much better it is to do it with Jesus. It doesn't mean it is easy. It doesn't mean that it's a walk in the park because it's anything but. But there is a 
inner peace that comes, and most Aussies don't get this, hunty. Mm. There is an inner peace that comes by having Jesus. That's why you can throw all this uh, uh, Darwinism and evolution rubbish. Oh, I'm probably not allowed to say it like that, am I, hunty? Garbage. <laughs> Garbage. Garbage. You, you like to say your opinion. Rubbish. Yeah. I don't. I, I never. I never ever have copped it. I don't believe it. Because I have this experience, I'm an ordinary bloke, an ordinary Aussie, with Jesus, and I can truly say, like those who wrote that song, that if you've got him, it is well with your soul. Mm. Bible study, hunty. It is, time for Bible study. Yes. Um, I'm going to, I like to revisit these subjects, but I'm going to come from a different angle, one I've never come from before. I want to have a look at what Jesus has to say about the times we live in. Uh, There are three great chapters in the Bible that talk about Jesus and the second coming or the return of Jesus and the end of the world. They are Matthew 24, they are Luke chapter 21, and then Mark 13. This is the first time, believe it or not, Andrew Hunt, Mm -hmm. in 33 years of ministry I've ever done a Bible study on this particular topic from Mark chapter 13. Nice. Hmm. Mm. I don't normally use this uh, story because it's it's the same story told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I usually usually use Matthew or Luke, but we're in Mark 13. So without further ado... Hunty, I want you to read Mark chapter 13, not Luke, Mark Mark, 13, verse 3 and 4 only, and then we'll set the scene. Sure. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across the valley from the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and asked, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? So if you look at the the books of Matthew and the book of Luke, what the disciples are doing is they're coming to Jesus and they're saying, hey, what's it going to be like at the end of the world? Good question, hunty. Great question. Do you remember when we were there? Oh, Every I'll time we visit this, Fantastic. I, I share that. You yeah. do remember? Best time of my life. Uh, we were in Jerusalem. Mm. I remember before we went to Jerusalem, we were over in Jordan. Do you remember that? Over the Dude, Dead Sea. That was great. And I remember the first night we were in Jordan, we were at a conference, for once, staying in a really nice hotel. Yeah, it was Which too. doesn't happen a whole lot to us, Andrew. No, Hunt. no. In fact, Hunty, here we are in a five-star hotel. We're guests. We're not paying for this. We're guests of a of another ministry. And Hunty went and asked for an upgrade. <laughs> what were you <laughs> yes, talking you about? Yes, you did. You didn't like what that room because it was too far to walk, remember? Too far to walk from where we were because... Because we were in one hotel, we had to walk three or four hundred metres, which incidentally was pretty good for both of us. And Hunty didn't like that, and he asked for it. And we had to walk because the meals were in that other hotel. He asked for an upgrade, and you wouldn't believe it, he got it. <laughs> Hide as thick as a rhinoceros. That's not the truth. It's the truth, bro. Well, then how did we end up from that lousy, ho- not lousy, but that not as good room to the good room? They had me working on tech things, and I literally didn't have time to get back. Between events. No, were you? No. No. You weren't on tech stuff there. Here we you, go. Itchy you and scratchy there, again. Edit again. You were there <laughs> having the good time. You were not on tech. He's, listeners, his mind's. I was, I was helping them. His mind's deteriorating. He was actually, <laughs> he was actually lecturing them about where's, what they were doing. Where's my wrong. mute button for you? <laughs> anyway, we're in this beautiful hotel. Yes. And I remember walking out on. The first night we were there, looked across the Dead Sea, and there were the lights of Jerusalem. Mm. Do you remember that, Hunty? Beautiful. That was surreal, wasn't it? 
Beautiful. We did a live shoot, remember that, from yeah, there? Yeah, we did. For our church. We yeah. did a live shoot. I think we got more hits Good on times. that. We, we, we're going to do more live programs, actually, in places like, not like that, but around the places we're out outdoors, which we're doing right this minute, actually, mm, mm. in the studio now, but we're on a shoot around Australia at the moment and enjoying ourselves, aren't we, Hunty? Good times, as I, I said. Um, it's on the Mount of Olives, which is across the valley from the Temple Mount, where the Temple was in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. They're sitting there, and the disciples say, hey, what's it going to be like at the end of the world? Good question, isn't it? Great question. Uh, what did Jesus say in verse 5? Jesus replied, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. Do you reckon that's happening, Hunty, much at the moment? I haven't I haven't seen anyone claiming to be Jesus. I've heard about it, but I've not seen anyone. Actually, um, it is on the increase. Did David Koresh claim to be Jesus? Yeah, he did. Okay. The Messiah. Yeah. Impersonate. Um, <clears throat> but that's not where I want to go today, Hunty. Oh. I want to. Sh- I want you to listen to a video that I've got. If Ooh. you're watching this on Facebook, you can watch this show on Facebook. Is that right, Hunty? Totally. Yeah, we're on. Uh, we're on the Faith FM Facebook page. So whether you're watching this or live or not, it'll be on our Faith FM Facebook. Pa- it'll be on also the Aussie Pastor. Yeah, later on tonight we'll copy it across the Aussie Pastor page. Yeah. Um, we're not gonna. We're not doing this live. Yeah, actually, we could actually. It, it, no, it is linked. Whatever. Yep. <laughs> I'm not sure what's happening there. We'll work that out later. Um, I want you to listen to this video because I think it's I think it's very important to what I'm sh- trying to share with you today from the Scripture when it comes to false Christs and false messiahs. I think this is really relevant. Now, what it is, this is Congress, and they're talking to a scientist, to a man who was involved in with the American government in uh, the looking at extraterrestrial life and UFOs. Now, Hunty, yes. am I a conspiracy theorist? No, not at all. Op- the opposite of. Okay. So that's why you need to listen to me on this, because <laughs> I'm no conspiracy theorist. But I see something happening. Listen to the video first. So this is politicians in the United States Congress talking to this guy who worked for the U.S. government as a scientist on extraterrestrials. And then I'll draw a... Um, conclusion, Hunty, fire. They, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. You've stated that the government is in possession of potentially non-human spacecraft. Based on your experience and extensive conversations with experts, do you believe our government has made contact with intelligent extraterrestrials? Something I can't discuss in public setting. Um, okay, I can't ask when you think this occurred. <laughs> um, if you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Um, were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. And was this documentary evidence, this video, photos, eyewitness? Like, how would that be determined? The specific documentation I would have to talk to you in a skiff about. That's on Sky News. Right. That's on mainstream news. 
talked about extraterrestrials. Is that how you say it? Extraterrestrials? Yes, extraterrestrials, yeah. Beings from other planets. Yep. About spaceships that have crashed, that have found biological remains in those spaceships. Before I go any further, I want you to read Second Corinthians chapter eleven, verse fourteen. But I want you before that even, Hunty, to read again Matthew twenty. Uh, Matthew, see, <laughs> Mark. Mark chapter uh, 13. 13, 7? Yeah. yeah, good. Thirteen, no, thirteen, oh. thirteen, verse five again. Oh. So let's let's. I'm I'm getting myself mixed up here. Read Mark okay. thirteen five, yep. and then have a pause, and then we'll yep. read Second Corinthians eleven fourteen. Sure. Okay, Jesus replied, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. Okay, you're saying not a lot of that's happening at the moment? More and more is happening. We get human beings doing this. But watch this, Second Corinthians eleven fourteen. Then I'll share something with you that I'm going to open up more over the next few weeks. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Second Corinthians eleven fourteen. Read it again, bro. Second Corinthians 11, 14. Yep. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. I don't have time today, but, the, but I'm going to do this in the next couple of weeks. The Bible says that an angel who is Satan appears on the planet disguised as an angel of light. Wow. Now, I want to tell you something straight out. Extraterrestrials, are they there? The book of Job says, yeah, they are. There are many worlds that God has created, but hear me, Hunty, yep. they are unfallen. No unfallen world. Every other planet in the solar system, if there are other planets in the solar system, in the universe, in our universe, in the multiverse, every single other planet with inhabitants on it, whatever they are, serves the Lord Jesus Christ and bows low before God. Our planet's the only one. That is in rebellion. You with me, mate? I'm with you. So if we have extraterrestrials turn up claiming to be great messengers, messengers from another life, from another, from, from another planet, we need to understand it's a deception from Satan himself. Because the Bible says, and I've just picked one verse here, and I'm going to, remember I'm going to unpack this more in the next yep. few weeks. Yep. Read Second Corinthians 11.14 again, Hunty. Okay, 2 Corinthians 11.14. But I'm not surprised even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan will turn up before the end of the world disguised as an angel of light, will claim to be Jesus the Messiah. Can you imagine that? And I believe when you've got the U.S. Congress, a staid body of gentlemen and ladies who is not likely to get involved in conspiracy theories, looking at these extraterrestrial events starting to occur on our planets, I think there's a very good chance that what you've got here, Hunty, is Satan preparing the way for his arrival on this planet. It's a serious time. So what does that mean to us personally? I think we need to have a relationship with Jesus. Totally. We need to be in prayer Mm -hmm. every day. We need to be in Bible study. So as these signs unpack... And this world comes to a crashing end with some of the fiercest, most powerful deceptions the world has ever seen, including Satan himself turning up on the planet as an angel of light, claiming to be the Messiah with great light on what the human race needs to do, with the whole world being deceived. We need to be so immersed in Jesus, knowing what is happening, uh, because we've got the Holy Spirit so powerfully that 
we will see the deception for what it is. And the only way that you can have that experience is to be in a day-to-day yep. walk with Jesus Christ. Now, this stuff 100%. might seem way out. I get that. It's not your day-to-day Bible study. I'm going to unpack this more in the next few weeks. I'll guarantee you. In fact, next week I'll be on to this again. Yep. The Bible is very clear this is going to happen. We need to know Jesus. You know Jesus, you're going to be okay, and you'll see every deception that Satan will throw at us including when he arrives on this planet. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. One of the ways of knowing Jesus is to spend time with him in prayer. And this is the Oak Ridge Boys, one of the biggest bands, country bands in America, and they're talking they're talking with Jesus and they're sharing with us this song. I, I like it, Hunty. Me it's too. fun. It's a great song. It's fun, but if you listen to the message, it's powerful. Just a t- little talk with Jesus, Oak Ridge Boys. <laughs> Jesus is a friend who watches day and night. I go to him in prayer. He knows my every care. And just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Have a little talk with Jesus. Stand up all about our trouble. Hear our faintest cry. Answer by i 
That's a beautiful song, that one. Yep. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, if you want to get through what's ahead of us, you better be talking to Jesus. Uh, Harold, have we got you on board? Yes, we are here, Lloyd. Okay. I can't see you, but I know oh, that you're there I somewhere. Fix, I can fix that. <laughs> no, I'm happy for that because I've got the timer on that other one, so I'm happy to do this without seeing him hunting. Oh, you can see him now, surely. Yeah, but I can't see my timer. Oh. <laughs> Um, so just let me, give me the timer and let Harold go. I, all right. I can talk to him as okay. I were on the phone. Very good. No worries at all. How are you going up there, Harold? It's having a good, good day today, Lloyd. That's good. Um, we've got an interesting one today. We're going to talk about Florence Nightingale. What a wonderful person she was. I reckon, I don't know, but I think that everybody must, have, at least in the Western world, have heard of Florence Nightingale at some stage or another. Sure. Yeah, yeah. In fact, my daughter is a nurse, and I'm trying to remember as I was looking at this story with you whether or not Florence Nightingale had a part in her graduation. And I think they all, it was a two part graduation. There was a Friday night and then a Sunday. And I think on the Friday night, they all carried lamps down the aisle of the church that are graduating. And I think we're going to find out that's something to do with Florence Nightingale. Right, yeah, still today. So she's had a major impact even on modern nursing. But let's look at a story. Let's look at a story because it's a good one. Um, when was Florence Nightingale born? Well, she was born in May 1820, but it was in the city of Florence in Italy. So she was born in Italy, but is she British? I would say so. The name is very British, Nightingale. Who was she named after? Well, she was named after the place where she was born. She was born in Florence, and they called her Florence Nightingale. It's kind of not a name you hear a lot of people call today, is it? But um, a beautiful name, nevertheless. Was she born into poverty or wealth? No, she wasn't in a poor place. Her family were very wealthy. They were in high society, and so she wasn't asked to work. You're just part of this great family. So she could have lived a life of ease and luxury, I'm guessing. Well, let me tell you, the family all had servants. She didn't have to do anything. And the house, this mansion they lived in, had 15 bedrooms. So she, in, in reality, with the culture of that day, she would have, she, they would have expected her to live a life of um, wealth correct. and ease and not to work, correct? Right. But that's not her. How old was she when she decided she wanted to do something special with her life? Well, when she was just six... She said, I want to do something special with my life. And that was the decision from her early age. What did her father teach her? Well, didn't go to school, but her father was a good tutor. And listen to this. He taught her Greek and Latin and German and French and Italian, besides history and philosophy, and then went into mathematics as well. Reality, she might have been better educated than a lot of us today. That's right. What did her mother expect from her? My mother just wanted to get married and have a family. Her mother wanted some grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> so she turned 16 years of age. What did she decide? She decided then to take God into her life and put herself in the hands of God. Really, that was probably the instrumental, the pivotal decision of her life. Is it? Would that be fair to say? It always is. If I do that, that's the biggest decision of my life, 
and it was of hers too. Yeah. So what did she do? And we're starting to get a little look into her character. What did she do in the Great English Depression of the 1840s? Well, she had moved back to England, and it was the big depression there that she took medicine and food and clothing to the poor who were starving to death. So she's already starting to serve. That's right. So she she turns 24, which I might want to tell our listeners was a ripe old age back in that time. She should have been by now married, (laughs) settled down with kids and living her life. She turns 24. What did she decide God had called her to do? She felt God was leading her, go and become a nurse, and then you can help the sick and the poor who are sick. Now, remember, she's rich, correct? That's right. This is the last thing her parents want us to do. Is that right? They hated that decision. They tried to stop her. They scanned, She would. They would be scandalised if this high society girl went down and worked with the poor. But she goes and does it anyway. Um, what were the hospitals like in her time? Oh, they weren't like today. They were filthy, dark, poorly run, all kinds of diseases, all put together in one room. Would it be fair to say that it might have been safer not to go to hospital than it was to go to hospital? Well, if you went to hospital, you had a fair good chance of dying. Yeah. Um, you talk about the pressure her family put on her with a choice of nursing. Do we know much about that? Well, we know a little because the pressure was there. Don't be a nurse. And she said, I want to be a nurse. And she had a little nervous breakdown. Okay. So it was the pressure her parents were putting on her not to do this was having an impact. Sure did. But she continues on. Where did she go to further her career in nursing? Well, she heard of this place in Kaiserwerth over in Germany, not far from Dusseldorf. And there, at the Institute of Deaconesses, she learnt nursing by practice. Do do we know whether her parents supported this or not, or we're not sure? Well, I don't think they would have left her destitute, so there could have been a little support there. Were there men interested in her? Because she's 24 and older now, and how did she respond? Because she's a young woman, she falls in love. Were there men interested in her? There are quite a number of marriage proposals. Will you marry me? They kept asking. Mm. But she had refused them all. And finally, she took work in a London charity hospital. So she's very, very committed to her life and her work to the point where she excludes love. That's right. What did England become involved with in 1854, which was really important to this story? Well, the war started in Crimea and England decided to come into it. And so that was the big deciding factor. So um, by now she'd be one of the best-trained nurses, not just in England, perhaps the world. Is that right? Well, she knew more about hospitals than anyone else in England. That's right. So um, what happens? She's asked to become involved over there. Um, Tell us that story. Well, the Minister for War, he was a special friend of Florence, And he said, will you take a bunch of nurses and go over to Crimea because we'll have wounded soldiers and we need you there. How many nurses did she take with her? She took 38. What were the state of the hospitals when she got there? Oh, They were filthy. They were usually in derelict places. And it was terrible, the situation where she found herself. So this is where she really starts to make 
world-changing decisions. What did she introduce? She introduces vast improvement in hygiene, keep it clean, and the death rate went down from 40% to just 2%. She even got soap and knives and forks for the people and toothbrushes. So she basically what she's doing, she's bringing cleanliness into the hospital. That's right. So she's had this. This is great success. So you're talking about a, a 40% death rate down to 2%. That means at least 38% were dying because of the filth. You would think right. she got great support from the other medical practitioners, including the army doctors? No, the doctor said, you're going to spoil the brutes. Don't do that at all. And they resented her tremendously. Even though there was this great life-saving stuff going on, they resented her. That's right. What was she known as and why by her patients? Well, she talk about an eight-hour day. She worked sometimes up to 20 hours in a day, and at night she would carry a lamp. And so she was known as the lady with the lamp. And that's why my daughter, is this correct, carried a lamp in her graduation ceremony. Correct. That's why. So she, to this day, this is a she is a great hero in the health sector. Is that correct? That's, she was the name above all others. I mean, it's a silly question, but she was wildly successful in Crimea. Correct? She was. In fact, there is a museum in an army barracks in Istanbul. I've been there, and it shows all the things connected with. Florence Nightingale. It's hard to get into because it's a military place, but there is a museum there. I'd love to go there one day, Harold, and do a story with you. Amen. Yeah. Um, who took notice of her work? Because she was starting to have an influence, and people were. It wasn't all hostility. Who took notice of her work, and what did that guy go on to set up? Well, she got noticed by uh, Jean or Jean Henry Durant, and he was the guy that started the International Red Cross in Geneva. So he knew what she was doing in hospitals. So she had a major influence on the guy who started up the Red Cross. That's right. Did she? Was it just practical work or did she write anything? Did she leave no, anything behind, you know, for those following her? She wrote uh, a book called Notes on Hospitals and it showed how to make hospitals better with good ventilation, more room, good drainage, and cleaner and a sanitary place. She was an expert in this. What did she open in 1860? She opened a training school for nurses, and the nurses were called Nightingale Nurses. Wow. This is in England, I'm taking it. That's right. And she dies eventually. She died an old lady? When did she die? 1910. Okay. In 1910 in London. So I'm trying to work out how old she was born... I'm trying to remember when she was born. 1820. So she's 90 years old. 90 years old. So her practices, which she obviously incorporated into her own life, probably extended her life as well. Um, and today in hospitals, it would be fair to say that much of what we do is built on the foundations of her life, of her nursing ministry, and it was a ministry. Right. She really... Uh, changed hospital uh, procedures forever. And all the time a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. 
Man. What do you reckon we can learn from her life? Amazing story, actually, Harold, of this lady. I'd, I'd, I'd heard a lot about her through the years from afar, but it was good to look at her today. What do you learn? From, you're a historian. What do you learn from looking at her story and her life? What can a person do who devotes their life to Jesus and says, let me help, and he will use you just like he used Lauren? Hey, one, one question without notice. Do you think it was Jesus that also helped to bring light into her life on all these issues which were you know, causing so many problems in the hospitals? Of course. He, he brings the best of life and the best of health to us. Okay, okay. Well, she's an amazing story, and I really enjoyed that one, Harold. Thank you. Good one. God bless, and we'll see you next time. Sure will. Bye then. Bye-bye. Listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. You like that story, Hunty? What a great story. Have you got, have you got, um, have you got nurses in your family, mate? Um, I was married to a nurse for a long time. But none of your kids or anything like that? No, none of my kids. Listen to, um, listen to this, mate. My uh, auntie was a nurse. In fact, my auntie and my auntie were nurses. My mother was a nurse. Are you with me? I am. My daughter wow. is a nurse. Uh, I am surrounded by nurses. Uh, I don't know why, but the women in my family and my nephew... A male now, Jack. Huh. He's a nurse. So there's nurses. My sister-in-law huh. is a nurse. It wow. just keeps going, and it's interesting to see the uh, what I would call the influence of Florence Nightingale on their lives and, and on their work to this day. And what I like about that story is she was a devoted, committed follower, believer, disciple of Jesus. <laughs> And how many people who follow Jesus and believers of him have made a difference in our life? I take it this next song's The Love of God. Um, yes. Again, Guy Ponrad. Same guy. Yeah. Guy Ponrad yep. and Dave, Dave Phelps. David Phelps. Yep. Hope you enjoy it.
That'd be one of my favourite songs too, Hunty. Yeah, it's a good song. I really like that song, really For Love good of song. God. How rich and pure, how deep it is. Um, this next message I'm going to share with you, a little testimony. Lauren Michael Cotton's son, Graham, suffered from, and I don't know a lot about these problems and challenges, Asperger's syndrome, bipolar disorder and depression. Oh, Asperger's, I don't know a bit about that. So he's in, he's in deep trouble. Yep. Nothing they tried helped him, and they surrendered it all to God, which is a good place to go when you've got your back Always. up against the wall. And there's nowhere, well, There's nowhere else to go. While homeless, Graham was robbed of everything he had. So their son gets robbed of everything he has, and after that he experienced a revelation of God's love. And it's amazing how God will, if we ask him to, step into situations, rectify them, save them, and heal the situation and the person involved. Listen to this testimony for power. Nobody wants to admit that they don't like their child. I mean, it's your kid. You love them. And I did love Graham, but he was uh, he was hard. He was very, very hard. Great day for both of you. We met at church doing uh, some ministry together. We were a little bit older when we got married, so we talked about having children quickly. They were going to become Christians uh, at a very early age because we were going to have them in church. I think 10 months after we were married, we had Graham. We didn't really have a comparison, so we didn't know exactly at the moment um, that, that things were different. He was just very, very, very active. He didn't have friends. They would make fun of him. We took him to the doctor, and uh, he was diagnosed with ADHD. That may be true, but there's something social that we're missing. We disciplined out of anger on several occasions. It was scary, you know, sometimes to think, what are we doing? We're spanking all the time. We're disciplined all the time. We're supposed to be having fun. We're supposed to have great relationships with our kids. And it's not turning out at all like we thought it was supposed to. At 10 years old, he was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. But instead of like a, a terrible news, it was kind of a relief. It was like, finally, I knew there was something else. When he was probably about 12, his behavior, it just was so overwhelming. I remember just going in my bedroom and being so exasperated. I just fell down on my bed and I just began sobbing and I cried out to God and I said, God, I'm tired of asking you to help me because I can't do it. You need to do it. It was pretty amazing because I heard him say in my spirit, Graham is going to get it. And I sat up and I looked around the room and I said, what? <laughs> and God said to me again, Graham is going to get it. I'm glad God <laughs> gave me that at that point because it was pretty much downhill after that. Around 13, Graham began using marijuana. He began the ritual of cutting himself to relieve anxiety. He would start fires in our house and we wouldn't know it. And then it was at that point that he and his dad got in a fight. I partly think it's my fault, but he ran out and he got a, a rock and he threw it and he hit me in the head. And I said, call 911. The police said, that's enough. And we know you're going to let him come back, but we're not. And so they actually put a restraining order on him. And he went to jail. Shortly thereafter, he had some kind of emotional breakdown. He broke into a home and he got in trouble with a very strict county in Texas. For two years, they had him bouncing back and forth from the mental hospital to jail. 
I wanted Graham to have peace and have joy. And then I thought, well, peace and joy is Jesus. That's a person. So I began to just pray, God, please let Graham experience you. But when he finally did get out, he decided that he was going to go to Colorado. He got a bus ticket. Colorado wasn't everything he thought. So he ended up hitchhiking to Portland, Oregon. We're actually on a vacation in Mexico during this time. And uh, Graham called us just half crazed. He was crying and screaming and, and mad because he had ran out of all of his medications and he was at a hospital and they wouldn't give him any more medications. I said, Graham, we can wire you some money, but there there's nothing else we can do. He got upset. He hung up on me. And right before he hung up on me, he said, I'm going to hurt somebody. I couldn't jump on a plane. I couldn't call him. He lost his phone. He called me from the hospital. There was nothing. This feels very bad. It feels like, it feels like the end. And so all we could do was pray. And I just told God, uh, he is so yours and he's always been yours. I want so badly to go rescue him, but I know you brought me here. I believe you brought me here for a reason and you took me out of the way and I need to trust that. So please help me just to let it go and to let you do your thing with him. And amazingly, I closed my eyes and I fell asleep. We were in Cabo for two weeks. We came home and I brought my mind back to my son. So two and a half weeks later, I got a call from California. I answered it and I heard Graham. He called me and he said, Mom, I lost everything. He said, I knew I didn't know anybody for thousands of miles, but I knew God. I was in Sacramento. I had just hopped a freight train down with a bunch of people from Portland, and I had this, like, vision. I saw, like, hell, and it wasn't just this place where people were eternally tortured. It was this place where people chose to do things their own way. The next day, I was so filled with compassion and love for other people that the people I was hanging out with couldn't stand to be around me. They actually kicked me out of their group. Graham had experienced God. It's pretty amazing. God showed me what my life would look like if he did heal me and what it would look like if he didn't. And the difference was extreme. And uh, he gave me a choice. He also made that choice very easy. Amazing transformation since then. Graham is off all his medication. He's off of all drugs. He's walking with the Lord. What we've prayed at his youth has come to pass in his older age. Jesus is the only source of peace that I have found. What I used to trust God for was an outcome. 
was what I was praying for, that I trust that that would happen. And now it's not about the outcome, but it's about trusting God for trusting God. He knew how far to go with Graham. He knew when and how and where Graham was going to respond. And he did it. And I'm very, very grateful. You know what? Yep. I'm struggling with the mute button today, mate. I'm noticing. <laughs> I don't even remember putting it on. That's all right. Why am I putting the mute button on? I usually rely on you. I know. Right? Have I lost trust? Maybe you had a cough. <laughs> <laughs> story after story after story after story, what Jesus can do in people's lives if they ask him for help. Yes. He's a God who, when you're in trouble, no matter what the trouble is, will come and help, always will come and help. And that's another powerful testimony, mate, of the goodness of God. Um, This song, I chose it because I knew what that testimony was about. Jesus is the answer. This is from a choir, an Adventist choir in, and I've got to get this right, um, (laughs) I can't read it. Okay, it's the Burns Creek. Seventh-day Adventist Contemporary Choir. Out of what country? At Solomon Islands. Thank you. No worries.
Beautiful song. Absolutely. Love that song. Beautiful song, that one, Hunty. Great song. I've always enjoyed it. They yeah, actually are from the Solomon Islands, but they were recording in Fiji. You used to do a lot of that in the old day, didn't you? You'd, oh, you'd go to the Pacific. Yeah. And... I mean, I was so blessed to hear the wonderful harmonies and the enthusiasm. Those guys can really sing. They really do know how oh, to yeah. sing. Oh, yeah. Hey, Ask the Aussie Pastor, are you ready, mate? Yeah, my favourite segment. You know what? Let me give a quick shout-out. If you wanted to send us a question... You're welcome to. Not for today, obviously, but if you ever do, you can text us. Is there any chance they could get through today? Yeah, if you send it right now as an SMS, I'll read it to you today. Anyway, here we go. Zero four double eight double eight zero eight five one is the text number, or you can email us, and the address is theaussiepasta at gmail.com. He'll only read it if he gets time, listeners. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to qualify we're, that. We're auntie. almost out of time, so. <laughs> <laughs> You'll only read it if we get time. Okay, right, mate, let's go move into it. it. Okay, question yep. one. Can God heal broken marriages, and have you seen it? Um, the short answer is yes. He can and he does, and yes, I have seen it. Yes. But not always. Because I've been in a broken marriage, and it takes two to tango. That's right. If you want to see your marriage heal, both the husband and the wife have got to be into it. Correct. Because if it's just one or the other, you can't. You know, I knew a guy once. Um, he was a pastor. He actually got caught in adultery, which is a pretty serious thing for a pastor to get caught into. Not impossible, though, Andrew Hunt, yep. but pretty serious thing. Uh, it came out, as it often does, not always, but often comes out. And when it came out, it devastated his marriage. And both he and his wife had to make a decision on what they are going to do. You know what they did? What's that? They decided to work with it with God. And they did. And it took a long time and a lot of counselling and a lot of tears and a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. But from the most, what I would call damaging, or one of the most damaging things that can happen to a marriage adultery, step by step as they took good counselling, as they prayed together, as they got into the Bible and studied together, God was able to bring that marriage back to a point where they would today, and they're still friends of mine, have one of the most powerful marriages in one of the most uh, powerful ministries, not exactly as a pastor, but powerful ministries of anyone I have seen. So yes, wow. God does heal broken marriages. I have seen it, and I've seen it many times. That's great. But I want to qualify that. It does take two to tango. Mm-hmm. In fact, it mm-hmm. takes three to tango. The husband, the wife, and God. And if you've got those three ingredients and you really want your marriage to heal, you've got every chance of having success, hunting. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on. Oh, this next question, what a ripper. Why does God give us sexual desires and yet when we act on them, the Bible <laughs> says it's wrong? You like that question, hunty? I could have wrote that, I reckon, but I didn't. <laughs> um, God gives us sexual desires because God created us sexual beings. Sex is for pleasure. It's for procreation, but it's for more than that. It's for pleasure too. That's why the Bible says, you know, to husbands and wives, um, don't spend too much time apart because it's healthy that you be together. Uh, So God created sexual desires because that's a part of who you are. But with those sexual desires, he created parameters, um, boundaries, and according to the Bible, Hunt, if you're going to go by the Bible, um, the physical aspects of a marriage, sex, is between one man and one woman who have committed themselves together in holy matrimony. And any other sexual practice outside of the marriage, and you hear what I said, the marriage of a husband and a wife, of a male and a female, is forbidden by the Bible. Now, I get 
If you don't want to take that and you don't want to believe that, because that's probably where most of our culture is, eh, Hunty? Yep. They don't go along with what I've just said. But it's not what I'm saying, it's what the Bible says. So I think as Christians especially, you make a decision. If you're going to be a Christian and believer and a disciple of Jesus, you make a decision. Either I'm going to follow God and I'm going to do what he asks and I'm going to live within the parameters and within the boundaries that he sets out, or I'm not. Well, Hunty, I choose to. I get when other people choose not to. So sexual desire is not a bad thing, but you've got to act on it if you're going to be Christian, if you want the peace that only God can give that transcends human understanding. If you want that, you've got to you've got to um you've got to practice your sexual your sexuality within the boundaries God has given. And if you don't, well, there's no peace and it will it'll cause strife one way or another in your life. So does that make sense, Hunter? Yes. Can I add to that question a little bit? To make I'm a bit nervous. For I'm you? a bit nervous, yeah. but yes. Do you think that God matched the sexuality of males and females? Yeah. To equal amounts? Cause you mean the anec- desire? Anecdotally, yeah. Anecdotally, I would suggest that men get a whole lot more desire. No, I think it's different. It's the same? I think, no, it's not the same. It's, it's different. And I've got to be careful because I'm no expert in this area. But yeah, I reckon me either. men are very visual. <laughs> so, you know, I'm attracted to my wife visually. Yep. Big time. Yep. So it does have an impact on me when I look at her visually in the different forms that my wife comes to me in without saying too much. Gotcha. Women attracted, well, you, you want to thank God that your wife's not attracted visually hunting. <laughs> and I think I ought to thank him for the same thing. Nah. Yeah, I, true I, that, true I've that. been around marriage long enough to know that if I'm loving my wife, if I'm, um, if, if I'm doing things for her, if I'm giving her a sense of security, if she knows I'm there for her, well, then that's going to go good for my sex life. Nice. You know that, hunty. And so, yeah, we do, we, 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 we do work on different, um, you know, what does it say? Men are from where? Mars and women are from Venus. Venus yeah, but don't yeah. get me too much into that because I just, I'm no expert, mate. All right, moving on. But I do know this. Yes. <laughs> handbrake. The handbrake, yeah. I have practiced sexuality outside the boundaries of what God sets in my life at times. It's been very damaging. Always leaves me hurt and wounded and has always hurt others and wounded them. Does that make sense? I'm hearing you. And the great thing is that if you're on that road now, you don't have to stay on it. Come back to God. Cease the forbidden sexual practices that you've got in your life. God will heal you. He'll renew you and you can have that peace with him again. And, of course, I have found with sexuality, following God's way is always the right way. Mm -hmm. Not that I've done it, Hunty. I want to make that clear. I haven't always done it. But we know that God's way is always the right way. Okay. All right, next question. Does the Bible say there will be a financial collapse at the end of time. What a great question that mm, is. Mm, mm. Well um, done, listener. Yeah. The Bible says that at the end of time, men will be marrying and giving in marriage, that they'll be doing business, they'll be selling and they'll be buying. Yep. So there seems to be an element of normalcy when Jesus returns the second time. And I say an element because the Bible's very clear also that the world will be in total chaos. Yep. But that at least will be going along to an extent. Will there be financial collapse? Well, we've already had financial collapse with the Great Depression. Some will all argue that 2008 was a financial yeah, collapse. GFC, yep. Others would argue that we're on the verge of a financial collapse. Now, I think we will see financial collapse before Jesus comes the second time. I think we, we may see it more than once. Um, 
and I think it'll bring great hardship. Does the Bible say there'll be financial collapse? Well, in Revelation, it does talk about the struggles that businesses have as business collapses. Um, yeah, I, I, I tend to suspect, without getting too heavy onto it, Hunty, that there'll be pretty serious financial stress as we head into the end of the world, as with the other things we've already talked about today. Yep. Yeah. Alrighty. Um, actually, I think there's some... Some Bible texts that would indicate that too. Anyway, moving on. Could if Jesus you don't know them? Don't no, even say it. Don't even raise it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, could Jesus come today? He can do whatever he wants. Of course, he can come today if he wanted. I reckon. But doesn't that, don't a few more things need to line up first? No, I don't reckon. No, no. So time there's is a right. lot of Adventists will be listening to this and going, "Oh, you reprobate, Lloyd Groleman." No, I, I look. Every single thing Jesus said was going to happen before he comes. Kind of has. Name them. Go to Matthew. Yeah, uh, in fact, if you want to argue floods, with me on that, if you want to argue with me on that, no. go to Matthew twenty-four, go to Luke twenty-one, go to the entire book of Revelation, and show me what could happen that hasn't happened. But will he come today? Don't think so, because I think that the battle's got to become a little fiercer and a little bit more intense. And I think the Bible does indicate that there are some things that are going to unpack yet. But could he come today? He could. And you know what? When he does come, Hunty, there's a lot of people it's going to be a big surprise to. Mm, that's a, true. a really big surprise. Yep. So don't say, oh, there's things yet to happen. He's not coming today. Uh, man alive. That would be a very dangerous approach. No, you can never, the Bible's very clear. You can't put a time on God. No, you can't. And you need to be ready right mm. now for Jesus to come. I think the text is comes like a thief in the night. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of people really surprised when Jesus comes. They go, oh, didn't that prophecy or this? Ah, da, 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 da. No, no. You be ready right now. Hmm. One All right. More. Well, time for a quick shout-out. And then this segment's no, no, pretty we, much We've up. got another question here, bro. Let's well, we go. we do. Yeah, okay, let's do right. it. Do I need to go for professional help for depression when I'm a believer in Jesus? Yes. Yes. We heard the video, the testimony of the power of Jesus, of that young man. But if you're really struggling with depression... Jesus has given us others to help us. Go and get help. Find a Christian counsellor, psychologist. Go and get help. That's why I wanted you to... I saw that question earlier on, Hunty, and that's why I wanted you to put it in. It's right. very important. Right, right, right. If you're struggling and you're battling with life and you're down and you're in a dark hole and the black dog of depression has got you around the throat, man, go get help. Mm. I, I could not say that strong enough. Exactly. Go to a doctor, go to a counsellor, get as much help as you can and rely, go to God and rely on God because together with the, with the counsellor, with the doctors, with, the, with those around you and God, you're going to get out. Yes, for sure. Okay, Hunter. All right, we're done. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. The Blackwood Brothers who are a quartet singing my most fondest desire, the return of Jesus to get me and you if you choose. The song's called What a Day It Will Be. is coming a day when no heartaches shall come no more clouds in the sky no more tears to dim the eye all is peace forevermore on that 
happy golden shore What a day, glorious day that will be What a day that will be When my Jesus I shall see coming for you if you choose him as your saviour. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for being with us today in this program. Talked about some pretty deep stuff. And I just pray you'll bless our listeners in a big way, most of all with your presence. This is my prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Again, thank you for joining us today. My name is Lloyd Grolleman. I'm the Aussie pastor. Yeah, my name's Hunty and I'm the tech man in black and we love you, but... Jesus loves you so much more. We are going to see you when... Next time. Goodbye. Thanks for joining the Aussie pastor. If you enjoyed today's program and would like to find out more about Jesus, our ministry, always to support us, go to findjesus.tv. 